Well, as we do during the summer uh, for our sermon, I want to invite the kids to come up front. And if you'd like to help me with this part of the message, that would be great as we talk. And I've got a question for you. Do you like to run and jump? Are there any? Okay. Do you like to run and jump? And the reason why I ask that, and maybe there's some kids that are online as well too, is because today is a big day around the world. Because this is happening, and yes, I know it's on the other side of the... But let's all together wave our arms as we know what's happening. We'll watch it on TV tonight. That's right. It's the closing ceremonies of the Olympics. How many of you have stayed up too late to watch the Olympics? Can I just get an admission of that? We've watched way too much television at our house, and I mentioned this. The reason why the Olympics are a big deal, I came across this card in my Bible. I took a team um, of 75 people to the 1996 Olympics. So every year when the Olympics come up, I, I think of that experience. And as they said, once an Olympian, always an Olympian. And so I started thinking about the greatest Olympic winners would be what? The closing games, uh, the closing ceremony is tonight. You'll see some of them. Others have gone back home. Certainly uh, this fellow, Caleb Dressel, who won five medals and really sports a cool tattoo, that would be one. The gal who is the surfer who won the surfing, um, she's from Hawaii. I kind of teared up when she told people that um, her parents, her coach, uh, who've always cheered them, uh, she's not there as well too. But greatest medal Olympics also include some unique ones, like speed climbing. That was a new one for us this year. It was a Spanish 17-year-old who won the gold, and then uh, the gal, I forgot, just Moss, I think her first name is, or last name. She won the beach volleyball again. But April Ross, thank you. Yeah, April Ross. She won it again with a new partner. That was really fun to watch. I, uh, I would never want to get in the way of one of their spikes. I think they'd probably take off my head. But the Olympics got a little personal this year because we had someone not from our community who ran in our community and you know if you know who I'm talking about, it's this guy, Kenny Bed, Bednarik. Did I say that right? Bednarik. And he ran against kids from Memorial and North. And I never, I never saw him run, but I heard about him. And so I thought what I would do is, he's called um, Ninja Kenny. I decided that I'd go with that same look, and I'd go Ninja, Pastor Ninja. So if you don't mind... Uh, it got me thinking about our sermon about not gold medal winners, but what are some of the greatest Bible stories? If you were there, what would you like to go and see? So I'm just going to open this up right now. If you were, if you could see it eyewitness, what would you want to see? That's a great one. Super one. What's that? David Goliath? Daniel in the lion's den? Yeah, okay, Jesus' resurrection. That, that's like the cornerstone, right? You, you, oh, man, that's... You know, uh, I, I came up with a couple of them. Uh, creation, that would be pretty fun to see. Let there be light. Let there be pheasants. That would be fabulous to see the very first pheasant that God made. What about Noah's Ark? Our students are going to see that. If you haven't been to the Ark Museum, it's incredible. It's three football fields long and three or four stories high. It's unbelievable. 
And then the Battle of Jericho. I like that because um, archaeology has looked at those walls. But there's one in particular, and Dave, you brought it up, and that is the parting of the Red Sea. It's one of the most uh, referred to events in the Bible, not just in the book of Exodus, but it's referred to again and again, and it ties into our message, the parting of the Red Sea. Um, the clip that we're going to see has a very important line that you need to listen to. It's when Moses makes this powerful comment, today you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. Now the children of Israel are captured. Uh, they're, they're, they're in a tough spot. And so they, they go through the wilderness and this group of two million people walk through the Red Sea on dry land. Say that back to me. On dry land. The clip that we're going to see, I want you to listen to the, uh, for the phrase, today you'll see the salvation of the Lord. They've gone through the sea, and now they're going to see something that they are never to forget, ever, ever again. She wanted to see the fish. Pharaoh's army! They're coming! They're coming! I told you they'd kill us. Didn't I tell you? They'll kill us all, thanks to you. The salvation of the Lord! no one like you, Lord. You've spun your winds and tossed your seas upon our enemies. You have saved your chosen people. You have taken us out of slavery, out of Egypt, like an eagle takes his young upon his wings. Praise God! Praise God indeed. So this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 114. And the reason why that is so important to what we're going to read like this is Psalm 114 is a miniature version of the majestic things that happened. Uh, Psalm 114 is part of a six-part series that we're doing. 113, 114, 115, 116, 117, 118. They're all bundled together, and they're called the Hallel Songs, H-A-L-L-E-L. -L -E -L. That's what the scholars say, and it's a Hebrew word that means praise. And 
And it was actually these songs that were sung during Passover for Jewish feasts. In Matthew 26, after they took the Passover, Jesus, who was raised and understood the Psalms, they sang a hymn. And good scholars say they sang this hymn. Psalm 113, 114, 115, 116, 117. Now the reason why it matters, the reason why it matters is because the Exodus, during the Exodus, even creation itself responded to the Creator. Jesus said that if we didn't praise him, the rocks would. The rocks would reach out and praise him, and they did that. They did that when Christ said it was finished. The earth shook. And when Jesus rose from the dead, the earth shook. But the reason why we look at Psalm 114 and the reason why as a congregation we look at Psalm 114 is because when we read it, we're able to see that current events, current circumstances are still under God's sovereign and tender care. Listen to that. The reason why Psalm 114 matters is we're able to see current circumstances are still under God's sovereign care and his tender care. And if that were not true, then we'd sing this classic song this way. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, except in 2020, early in the morning, my song will rise and say, what a mess. But if the psalm is true that we're going to read, then the earth's shaking exodus and all its consequences land squarely, squarely on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is entitled, Earth-Shaking Questions, and I'm going to ask three earth-shaking questions. Two what's and a why. I want to invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 114 and follow along. You'll get more out of it, I think, as you follow along and make some notes there as we have some observations, but reading in Jesus' name, when Israel came out of Egypt, that's the exodus that you just saw, Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back, the mountains leaped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why was it sea that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Why, mountains, did you leap like, leap, leap like rams? And you hills like lambs. Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool and the hard rock into the springs of water. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we can barely comprehend the sheer might and power of your acts to shake mountains, to make them skip, and have hills dance like lambs. Who alone is like you? Your majestic power is for the sake of your people Israel, your chosen people, and your majestic power is now for all people of all nations and all ethnicities who confess your name. Your exhaustible attention to detail and your inexhaustible ability to care for your beloved ones creates in us a heartfelt cry 
of gratitude and thanks. We applaud you and we praise you. You have been merciful to me in Christ Jesus. And Lord Jesus, this is a song that you sang. So please open up our minds and give us supernatural and divine and holy God-touched ears and hearts to grasp, even if it's small, and it will be because your word is rich, help us grasp the magnitude and might of what you did in Passover, in Exodus, that points to Jesus, that impacts us. We love you. We adore you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take your words and use my voice like only you can and draw your bride to this meal of the word. In Christ's name, amen. On the back side of your worship bulletin, there's, a, uh, there's some places for you to fill in. You may make, get some more out of the message if you do that. You may want to write some things down in your Bible so that you can go back and go, what did that mean again? What was that all about? And there's just a couple, three comments that I want to make about this. And again, when you look at poetry, which Psalms is, it's more reflection. And the first comment that I want to make is this, the earth-shaking question that we have to ask is, what can change slavery status? What can change slavery status? That's really, truly what happened here. The, the psalmist just kind of burst forth with unrestrained joy. And just for a second, just stop, stop and try to get your heads around the historical fact of what you saw there. That group of people that went through the, uh, the Red Sea, they started out as 70 people when Jacob brought the rest of his family, about 70 people. 400 years later, they became a, a group of over 2 million people with men and women and slaves and children and all of that. You may say, now, why should I care about that? Is that okay? Because of this, can you imagine what it would be like to come out of slavery for that long, generation after generation after generation after generation? They had seen blasphemous worship, idolatry worship. They had been under the whip of taskmasters, and their no longer slaves, they are, notice what the scriptures say, they're God's sanctuary. It, they are where he will have his dominion. And why that's so significant is it means that their identity is now the presence of God who abides in them and lives in them and calls them. Jesus' good friend Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, he writes this down. You can jot this down in your Bible or in the notes. Write this down and look at it. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. They went from slaves to the people of God. Where the scriptures say, look what it says. It says in verse 2, you became now God's sanctuary. You're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And we have received that because of the person of Christ. The Apostle Paul, who writes most of the New Testament, plants churches all around the Mediterranean Sea, gives us some understanding some perspective of this event that happened 
over 3,000 years ago. He gives us some perspective of this on the warnings that came about. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, For I don't want you to be ignorant about the facts, brother and sister, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized, into Christ, all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food, and they drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock, and that's what was referred to in verse 8. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And then Paul goes on to say, this was an example to you. Notice. Take notice. This is an example. And it's a warning. I made this comment earlier in the message. Always an Olympian, even if you don't meddle. You're chosen. You'll always be chosen if you know Christ. You were selected to be part of a holy nation of his witnesses. Your identity, if you know Christ, if you've confessed Christ as Savior and Lord, you are one who the Spirit of God now lives in you, and you are his sanctuary. So when you leave these doors and you walk out and you rub shoulders with your neighbors and your family members and those you work with, you are God's representative. Wow. What a responsibility. So if the first earth-shaking question is, is how do you change from slavery to a slavery status? It's by the person of Christ. The second question certainly has to be, what causes creation to flee and skip? What would, what would ever make creation, in, in the words of the psalmist, flee and skip? See what it says there in verse, verse 3? The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. They leaped. And, they, and then he repeats it again and again. And if you're an English major or you're an English lit, I hope you're smiling right now because the psalm writer, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, uses what's called personification or holy imagination about creation. He uses this term for us to understand. The dividing sea opens in the Exodus and the Jordan opens as well. And these two bookend events, the passing through on dry land of Exodus and the passing through of the Jordan on dry land closes a chapter in God's people's lives, closes the wandering of the 40 years. But smack dab in the middle with the trembling and the holy trembling, that's the giving of the law of God. They skip like the... the, the the mountains skip like rams, the hills like lambs. And as mighty and majestic as the mountains are, they are inferior to the magnitude of God our Father. He's showing his power and might. Now, I don't do a lot of hiking in the mountains. I've never hiked 14ers before. And whenever I watch a documentary about people who hike Mount Everest, I always come away with the same thing. They are nuts. Can I get an amen? And whenever they show that, they always talk about base camps, right? They start at one camp, and then they go to another camp, and then they go to another camp. And they, they'll, 
but this is what's common. Even people who hike 14ers, like the beautiful mountains in Colorado, you get this idea. Respect the mountain. Don't take it lightly. Respect it. Watch the weather. Know your gauges. But respect the mountains. The mountains bow down. The mountains bow down to this one. The Psalms take this approach that the sea and the rivers and the mountains and the hills, they fall over themselves to say, make room for this one. Make room for this one. Verse 5 says, what ails the sea? The sea did not ail for Pharaoh's army. What causes creation to flee and to skip when they hear the same voice that created them? When they hear the same voice that says, stars come into being. When they hear the same voice that says, let there be light. When they hear the same voice that says, let animals come into being. When they hear the same voice that says, now exist. That's what happened to sea and to thunder and to waves in Mark chapter 4. Just a recollection, Jesus is now the second person of the Trinity. He's God in the flesh. He was there at creation. And he's in a boat. He's exhausted from a huge day of ministry. He's asleep and there's a storm. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 38. You can look it up if you want to. But he's asleep and there is this storm and there are these waves and there is there's peril. The disciples said, don't you care what's going to happen to us? And the one who created the stars, the one who created the animals, the one who created man, says in this simple voice, be quiet. And it calmed. The waves and the thunder and the storm, they had heard that voice before. They had heard that voice in creation. Men and women are endowed with reason and intelligence, yet many are unmoved and not shaken at the majestic power of our Heavenly Father. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 says, we are without excuse because God's divine power and his majesty are clearly seen. They're clearly seen in creation. The earth-shaking question is, is how do I move from slavery status it is only by the person, personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one to break us out of the bondage of sin. Secondly, what causes the earth to shake? It shook when Christ said it is finished. It shook at resurrection. It's his voice. But the third and final question is this. It's not clicking, so you got to pull that up. The third and final question is this. What does the earth, why does the earth tremble in his presence? Why does the earth tremble in his presence? Uh, right away uh, from the psalm, you'll see that the psalm just kind of bursts in all kinds of, bursts forth in joy. But this, finally, in verses 7 through 8, this is the only time you see the name of God. 
Notice that he's referred to. There's pronouns that are used. But this is the first time that you see God's name used at all. And so that's significance. The first word and the first reference for God is Adonai. It means master, the one who has authority. It's actually used in the Bible for those people who have authority who may not be God. But it's the second word that should make you stop and go, whoa, look what it says. At the presence of the God of Jacob. The actual word there is Elohim. It's the fourth word used in the Bible. In the beginning, God. It's spelled E-L-O-H-I-M. It means the creator. And when you add the H-I-M in the back, it makes it plural. And so you have the creator, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here. And he makes, look what it says, he turns the most desolate place in the world, a rock or a hard rock, into a place of abundance. The phrase there, a rock into a pool, could be translated lake, reserve, or the Spanish word that's used in the translation is laguna. Where does the Lord need to show you his deep riches, his deep promises are true? When I pray for people that are going through a hard time, I often pray for them that God will bring back to their mind verses, sermons, songs, hymns, devotionals, things that they read, and that the Spirit of God would whisper a personal word and say, daughter, son, this is still true. This is still true. The reason what's interesting is that Psalm 114 ends like Psalm 113 in that his power is directed to the point of need. It's transforming into a place of plenty and a source of joy. God shows his power to meet us. Remember the blessing of this earth-shaking question and why we sing it over and over again is that it recalibrates our soul, is that when we ask these earth-shaking questions, it's a reminder, oh yeah, Adonai, my father, still rules even in a pandemic with all its crazy variants. He still rules. It's a reminder and it recalibrates that Elohim, the creator, our father, has the government on the shoulders of his one and only son. Seas flee at his name. Mountains skip. Hills dance like bird, dance like lambs. That's my father. And he knows you and he knows me. The book of Proverbs says this, Proverbs 28, 14 says, Blessed is the one who always trembles or fears the Lord. But the one who hardens their heart falls into calamity. Could there be any better example of Pharaoh in the Bible? who harden his heart again and again and again after miracle, after miracle, after miracle, after miracle. It's a warning. It's a word that says, child of God, child of God, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Tremble in fear of this one who can make the mountains shake and the hills shake. Tremble at him and say, God, you know what I'm like. You know I'm a broken person. So as we do, 
each Sunday, we ask questions that we respond so that we don't just, how was the sermon? Oh, it was a good sermon. That you, we be doers of the word. That we put it into action. And here's three very practical things you can do after you stand up and leave. First of all is this. Dig deeper. Dig deeper into the mighty works of Adonai and Elohim. Read Psalm 78. You'll be fascinated. It's another take on the Exodus story. And you'll read what God did, and then you'll read how people respond. You'll read what God did and how the people respond. And if you're like me, or you might find yourself going, what dorks? I can't believe that they screwed up. I can't believe they get it. And after you read it again and again, you might find yourself going, that is just like me. Psalm 78. Here, here's the second thing. Just for example, pretend to put on the shoes or maybe the sandals of the people who came out of the Exodus. Just for a second. Just put that, just kind of pretend and live there for a sec. Like, okay, what would that have been like to have no, uh, to not be a slave anymore? To not see these idle, these icky, blasphemous, immoral, and, and not have to go like this, my back doesn't hurt anymore because I'm not whipped. To think that for 10 generations, they never had a day off. Jesus talked a lot about slavery and sin. And he made that connection for us in John chapter 8. Look it up and read it. Finally, I just ask you this simple question. What does holy trembling look like in your life this week? What does it mean? To tremble and to fear. It's not like God's going to strike me dead if you're a follower of Christ, but you acknowledge he is both holy and sacred and he is personal. J.I. Packer said, the single most important and key truth of all of the New Testament is knowing this, the personhood and the fatherhood of Almighty God. It's not contrary. It's beautifully seen in the person of Christ. So we end with a song. And I'm going to have you stand for this song. And it's actually a song of Moses. So we're going to read a song of Moses, and then we're going to sing a song of Aaron. Maybe. How's that? And so this is prophetic literature. It's what's going to happen in the future. And it's from Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. And let me just set this up so you know who the they is. It's going to be a responsive reading. Who's the they? It's set up this way in Revelation chapter 1, 15. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven plagues. Last because with them God's wrath is complete. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea. And those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its names. So the they, who's the they? The they is the victorious ones. The victorious ones in Christ. So we're going to read this song. I'm going to say this part and then you're going to read the bold part. 
This is the song. They held harps given to them by God, and they sang the song of God's servant Moses, the Exodus guy, and the Lamb, that's Jesus. And this is what they sang. This is your part. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. And just and true are your ways, King of the nations, your part. And after this, I looked and I saw in heaven the temple that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. The covenant law is God's relationship with you and me as his people. And we'll see that great day, and by God's grace, the full bay people will be there, and you and I will be there, and we will worship him and say, Great and mighty are your deeds. So let's practice. Let's sing and worship.